Good morning. Well, as you know, we've been considering what it means to be children of God. We've been thinking about this great doctrine that we call adoption. And so on the first evening, we considered what it means to be adopted by the living God, to be taken from that category of being under sin and Satan, slaves, really, to these things and to the law, and move into a new category in which we are children of the living God through Jesus Christ, the Son, and sealed with His Spirit. And then we considered yesterday what it really means to be loved by the Father. As we thought about our Lord's parable of the prodigal son, really the, the two lost sons, and how all of us have a tendency to either be a prodigal or a Pharisee, and how we don't want to misunderstand what it means to be loved by God, that we can't earn His favor, that Christ has earned it for us, and now we can delight in that and live in that. And today we want to think about the family that we inherit because of our adoption. Our adoption not only gives us a new father and a new elder brother, but also a new family. We are family. Because of Christ, we belong to the Father and we belong to one another as members of His family. And so, I'd like us to consider Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. This is the word of God. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is the word of the living God. The New Testament uses the the language of brothers and sisters because of our adoption, because we are family in Christ. And so this is why... We sometimes call each other brother, the brethren, or she's my sister in Christ. Uh, we, We need to think about what that means for a moment. Think about what it means to have a sibling. You share the same parents. You you come from the same source of life. You you had the you came from the same womb, the same mother. You are the same blood. There's no other relationship like that with those types of features. And in the same way, Christ Himself became one with us 
In his incarnation, he took on our flesh, our nature, as brothers and sisters in Christ now, because of his life and life, death, and resurrection for us, because of our union with him, well, we share the same blood, so to speak, the blood of Christ. And there's a sense in which our unity as brothers and sisters in Christ is even closer or more valuable than even our own physical relationship, biological relationship with our siblings. Because we have the same father in heaven, the same elder brother, and by the same spirit we cry, Abba, Father. We are family in Christ with the same hope. And as we know, few things are more tragic than a broken and a fractured family. When we see families that have fallen apart, that's one of the saddest things that anyone can experience. When, when parents divorce or siblings no longer speak to each other, the family no longer resembles a community full of care, affection, love, stability. But instead it becomes a nucleus of jealousy, regret, and pain. And this is why we must strive to preserve the unity of the family, not just with our, our biological family, but also with our family in Christ. Our Father in Heaven doesn't want us to be fractured and to be divided. In fact, our elder brother, just before he went to the cross, prayed that we would be as one. And this is important for us to think about together as we consider this theme over this week of adoption and being children of God. It is the same with the family of God with regard to keeping the unity. It's the same with the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Christ is, as we confess in the Nicene Creed, one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. And there can be many different congregations, many different denominations, different expressions, but there's only one church, one bride. There's the body of Christ and the family of God. There's not different families of God. And the church is one because God is one. He is one in, in, in his nature, one in substance, yet three in person. And because he expresses this unity, we must reflect that unity. And it's all for his glory. And so for this reason, the Apostle Paul wrote this little exhortation to the church in Ephesus so that they would preserve the unity that the Spirit had given them. We can't create the unity. The unity is created by Christ, given to us by the Spirit, but it is our job to preserve that unity, to protect that unity. And so Paul says we need to have humility, love, and truth. These are the three things that we need to have to walk according to the call that God has called us with. We can't be content to withdraw and be on our own as Christians. Christianity is not an individualistic religion. It is a corporate religion. When Christ calls us, when our elder brother goes to the far country and brings us home to the family, we inherit a family. And we experience Christianity together. 
And there's a sense in which our sanctification even happens together in a corporate expression of God's family. And so God wants us to be together and wants us to be united. And therefore, to preserve the unity of the Spirit, it's necessary to behave with humility, with love, with the truth. Let's reflect on those three things together this morning. First of all, with humility. Because Paul, he urges us here. The Lord urges us. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility. And the truth is, is that without humility, we can't protect the unity of the Spirit. Humility is the first ingredient for unity. Uh, There's never harmony in any church, in any congregation, in any family without humility. Humility is the secret of a harmonious relationship with others and an essential feature of the true Christian relationship with others. You need it in your marriage. You need it with your children. You need it in a congregation. We need it everywhere. Humility. As one writer said, behind every discord in our dealings with others lies vanity and pride. Conversely, our humility toward one another reflects the humility of Christ, our elder brother. So this is a family trait. This is one of the implications of being an adopted child of God. We're to reflect the nature of our Father. We're to imitate our Father. We're to imitate our elder brother who walked in humility. As the Apostle writes in his letter to the Ephesians or to the Philippians, Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, our humility, our seeking to be humble with one another doesn't save us at all, as we know. It's Christ's act of humility that saves us. It's Christ's great act of going to the cross for our sins as the second Adam, as the the elder brother who gave himself for our sins to take the place for us to bear the punishment and wrath of God so that we would be right with God and clothed in his righteousness. It's his humility that saves us. But it also offers us a model of true humility for our own life. As Paul tells the Philippians, let this same mind be in you. So again, we are are family members who need to reflect the traits of our elder brother, who is humility incarnate, Christ. Humility is a quality also of the new creation to which we belong. You know, in the new creation, there's no place for pride. All glory is given to God. 
And we look forward to that new creation being consummated. And yet it's already been inaugurated through the resurrection of Christ. Which means that humility now is a fruit of the Spirit that is like a little prophecy, like a little movie trailer of the full attraction that's coming later. Of when there will be no more pride in our hearts. The Spirit is now bearing that fruit in our lives, even as we live in this present evil age. And so humbling ourselves before God, what does it mean? It means seeking the good of others before our own. And loved ones, in the church, in the family of God, in the, the local expression of the body of Christ, the family of God, we have opportunity to express humility to one another as brothers and sisters. And that means seeking the good of others before ourselves. It means asking, what is best for my family? Before I say, what is best for me? Humility is willing to give up our rights to serve others. This is what Jesus did. And this is what we are to reflect. You know, in our sin, it's the opposite. In our sin, we want to claim our rights. Of course, we want to think about, well, what's best for me first? In our sin, we say to those who have hurt us, pay me what you owe now. We want our rights. That's how I feel when someone treats me poorly or someone does wrong to me. I want to defend myself. I want to retaliate. I want to claim my rights. But in light of Christ's sacrifice, in light of the fact that I'm only in the family, in the home of God, because of my elder brother who gave himself for me, how can I say such a thing? What rights do I really have anyway? We deserve God's judgment. But Christ satisfied his justice for us. Now we belong to him. Now we're family. We were once children of wrath, but now all by God's grace, we are adopted children. And that's why Paul tells us, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness. To preserve the unity of the Spirit with the bond of peace, we first begin with humility. And then he adds love. Walk in love. He says with patience, which is an expression of love, bearing with one another in love. And oh, as we all know, a local congregation of sinners put a whole bunch of sinners together with different backgrounds, different ideas, different interests. And what do you get? You get a big opportunity to bear with one another in love. It's not easy. We see children fighting all the time. We don't have to teach them how to do that. They already naturally know how to say, that's mine, that's not fair, I was here first. And sometimes we do the same in the local congregation. This is why Paul says this. 
with humility, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Why? Because we were created for love. Not love as a noun, but love as a verb. Because love, most often, is a verb, as we, as we think of it in the Bible. It's serving, it is doing, it is acting, it is self-sacrificial. And we were called, we were created for love, to love God and to love neighbor. We were redeemed by the love of God to love, to love God and to love neighbor. Sin, of course, distorts love and points it towards ourselves rather than towards God and towards neighbor. And because of our sin, we become lovers of self rather than lovers of God and lovers of neighbor. But God, as Paul said earlier in this letter to the Ephesians, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Like Christ's humility, Christ's love gives us salvation, the forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, eternal life. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, says the Apostle John, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His love, Son to be the propitiation for our sins. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And now what's happening is, because of God's love, because of His great act in Christ, the gospel is now working in us, changing our hearts. The Spirit is at work transforming our minds, renewing our minds, causing us now to not love idols and love ourselves or live for ourselves, but to live for God and for neighbor. And the local congregation in the body of Christ, the family of God, is not only a place where we receive the loving Father's means of grace, word and sacrament, an opportunity to worship Him, but it is also the opportunity to love one another. God takes brothers and sisters and puts them all together and says, here's an expression of my family in a local context. And the gospel is at work in us transforming our desires. Only the gospel, only the good news of God's love for sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ can change our hearts so that our love for God and neighbor may abound more and more. In the family of God, the Holy Spirit uses the gospel to enable us to begin loving others as God has loved us. And that's good news. And like humility, love, patience, which again is a manifestation of love for others, they're necessary. 
Love is necessary to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the bond of peace. Without love, you cannot do it. We remember the words of Jesus after he washed the feet of his disciples. He said to them, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how they know. It was like this in the early church, and it must be like that today. People must know that we're the disciples of Jesus Christ by our love for one another. We can confess anything, we can say anything, but our love for one another is the evidence that we truly believe the truth. And we need to remember that. And of course, it's not always easy, right? It's not easy. If it were easy, Paul wouldn't need to tell us this. The fact is, it's a lot easier to pick the people that I want to love. I like this person, I like this person, like this person, and I have my, my clique. These are my friends. The other people I'll try to avoid. They're not so lovable. But the Father puts us all together. He knows what He's doing. And as we pray for sanctification, oh Lord, may be more like Christ. Okay, here's someone you don't like. Here's someone you find disagreeable. Here's someone you find difficult. I want you to love them the way I love them. I want you to love them. This is what he does. I mean, if we we narrow down the church just to the people that we really, really love, we'd end up just in the church of ourselves, right? Eventually. So the Father knows what he's doing. The Father's good. It's always easier to choose the people we want and ignore those whom we consider less lovable. But God puts us with them. and He sends us these situations to give us opportunity for the gospel to work in us. And together we always have opportunities to behave with patience and love and to preserve the unity of the Spirit with the bond of peace. And this is God's will for our lives. Jesus desires this. Jesus says, I have made you my brothers, my sisters, and I love you, and I love one another. And then Paul adds, walk in the truth. So it can't only be humility and love, but there also must be truth. So notice in verses 4 through 6, Practically, to emphasize our unity as God's church, the the apostle, he writes a a small creed here. He uses the word one seven times. He says there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's a little creed. And in in other words, our unity as Christ's church is based on the truth. Love is what protects it. Love is like the glue that keeps it together. But truth is the foundation. 
And that's why the early church developed statements like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. They define the boundaries of the essential doctrine that we must confess. Because if we can't confess the Trinity, for example, then it's not Christianity. If we can't confess the atoning work of Christ, it's not Christianity. If we can't confess the resurrection of the body, it's not Christianity. It, it, it gives us the very essentials. And, and as, as John Stott once put it, we love each other not because we are temperamentally compatible or because we are naturally attracted to each other, but because of the truth we share. Because of the truth we share, because of the gospel. It's the gospel that unites us. And so we must maintain unity, not only in our congregation, therefore, but also with every church that confesses the same truth. We may not agree on everything. We may not agree on non-essential doctrines. And we may feel very strongly about some of those things. But we're to preserve the unity nonetheless. And perhaps some of our liturgies and worship are different. But if a church confesses the truth expressed, for example, in the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, and it believes that they are, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then we can have no doubt that these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're to preserve that unity. We're united with them because of the blood of our elder brother. And we need to protect the unity of the Spirit with the bond of peace. We can't be content with being isolated either as individuals or as a congregation. And we need to rejoice when we meet other brothers and sisters. When we meet others in other places because the Lord loves them too, just as He loves us. Those who belong to the family of God share a, a common family likeness. Just like when you recognize a family member, maybe who you've met for the first time, you see features. Well, we see that in one another by the Spirit. Language, culture, education, those things may all be different, but a common bond unites us as members of the same family. And this is why it's such a blessing uh, to go to other places and, and to uh, worship with 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 brothers and sisters, maybe even in another language. I can remember the first time, the first few years when we were coming to Italy before we knew the language, many, many years ago, and we would sing in Italian, but I would recognize the tune and recognize the hymn, even though I didn't understand the words at the time. Or we would say the creed, and I recognized the, the rhythm, I knew what we were saying, even though I couldn't understand the words at the time, there's a family bond that we have. And we're one because of Jesus Christ. So we should rejoice in meeting one another, even across linguistical and, 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 and cultural lines. We have the same father, the same elder brother. We're indwelt by the same spirit and we have the same inheritance. And so we must find ways to... to manifest visible and public unity with other churches of Jesus Christ. We, we should never compromise 
the truth and the doctrine we confess, but at the same time, as God commands us, we must also maintain unity with churches that confess the gospel. And who knows, maybe we can learn something from our brothers and sisters who live in other, other rooms in the house of God. And maybe, we, maybe they'll learn something from us. You know, as uh, C.S. Lewis said, that the family of God lives, as it were, in a giant mansion. Because there's only one church. There's one. Jesus died for one church. Not two. Not three. But one. And in that mansion, Lewis said, there's different rooms which represent our different traditions, our different denominations. And so you have the, the Presbyterian room. It's a good room. It smells like cigars. It's a good room. Lots of books. And there's the Lutheran room, the Baptist room, the Anglican room. Each room has its own features and beauty. Each one might be a little different, but they're in the house of God as they confess the gospel. There are brothers and sisters paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. We live in the rooms, as it were. But we meet in the, in the hallway for conversation. We should be able to meet at the table for a meal. Because we share life together. Sure, more closely and intimately in the rooms. But nevertheless, we need to remember this is the family of God, being adopted by God, doesn't mean that the house of God is only our womb, but we are adopted into this family. And so we need to preserve the unity of the spirit with the bond of peace as much as we are able to do, as much as depends on us. And we can do this, why? Because we belong to our elder brother, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. In body and in soul, in life and in death, our elder brother, who with his precious blood is fully satisfied for all our sins and redeemed us from all the power of the devil. And now we belong to our Father in heaven so that not a hair can fall from our head without his will. And he so loves us that he causes all things to work together for our salvation, his children, his family. And because we belong to our Father, because our elder brother has redeemed us, the Holy Spirit is now working in us, making us wholeheartedly willing and ready to live for him, to imitate the Father. And so while we seek to do that with all humility and love, enduring with one another, with love, striving to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Let us fix our gaze on Jesus, the elder brother, the object and the finisher of our faith. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do come to you through your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for adopting us and making us your children. We thank you, O Lord, for blessing us so abundantly. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would make us more and more mindful of our privileges and of the opportunities you've given us 
as your children. And help us to be mindful also of our responsibilities, to imitate you, and to seek to, as much as depends on us to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Oh Lord, we thank you for bringing us into your home and into your family. We pray, oh Lord, that you would work more and more in our own hearts so that we might walk together, bearing with one another in love, with all humility, with all patience, reflecting the traits of our elder brother, the Lord Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us.